Welcome to We Are Meaningful, a podcast where we transform the anonymous experiences of black and brown talent into powerful audio narratives. Each month, we center the dialogue around a common theme, providing you, our listeners, with the tools and resources you need to help navigate, grow, and thrive in corporate spaces. Our stories, experiences, and our voices are meaningful. We are meaningful. Hi, everyone. This is Crystal. And this is Krista. And today we're joined by our friend, Aiko Bethea. Aiko is a leader, builder, and connector. She successfully navigated leadership roles in government, philanthropic, and corporate sectors. In each sector, she created new roles to meet growing organizational needs and visions for evolving culture. Aiko is principal and founder of Rare Coaching and Consulting, a consulting practice focused on coaching leaders and organizations to remove barriers to inclusion. She was recognized two years in a row by Culture Amp as a leading national voice on diversity and inclusion. She was recently recognized by Forbes as one of the top seven anti-racism educators. Welcome to the show, Aiko. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All I hear in the background is shh. Are clapping. you trying to do like, ah. Yeah. Like, ah. Okay. All right. But I'm like, that just sounded like white noise. No. <laughs> I thought it was like relaxation <laughs> vibes. Okay. <laughs> it was something apparently, but it was cheer because we're so happy <laughs> that you're here and we're so excited to have this conversation with you. But before we jump into the interview, let's roll the narrative. Hi. So what ultimately led you to look for and accept employment elsewhere? As you know, over the last several months, we've had a difference of opinion about the expected outcomes of my role. I am a data-driven organizational architect who expertly leverages inclusive process design to create spaces where underrepresented talent can grow and thrive. Instead of leveraging my skills, you'd prefer that I plan Heritage Month celebrations for your social feeds. You want a performance and I can no longer oblige. Beyond that, the combination and culmination of microaggressions, gaslighting, false accusations, unspoken rules, exclusionary practices, and hypocritical behaviors. Gulp. But you said ultimately, Amy, last week you compared conferences for black tech professionals to neo-Nazism. Um, okay. So this is all on the record and I could get fired for something like this. I mean, Come on, my husband is black and I have black kids. I'm obviously not racist and I apologize for it and it really wasn't my intention to offend you. So I don't see why this has to be part of your exit interview. While you didn't intend to be racist, you were and are. I can't justify that comment, mindset or behavior especially when it isn't the first time. So ultimately, Amy, your racism is what brought us here today. 
Okay. Well, did you feel that you were equipped to do your job well at least? My work was always treated as priority number 5,788,332,120. I never had the power to make decisions and there was never a desire to truly integrate inclusion into the DNA of our culture, practices, and decision-making. Then, the work transformed into something for multiple roles, but the team didn't grow, just my workload. For a company so concerned with the bottom line, you run this team like a lemonade stand. It's unrealistic. Well then, any other comments, questions, concerns? Uh, yeah, it's quite performative here. Always ready with a seemingly heartfelt soundbite, but never willing to actually act. What happened behind the curtain never truly changed, but we put on quite a show in front of it. Employee resource groups, progressive public statements, pics of our black employees on the cover page. You never intended to move the needle though. While I'm gracious for the opportunity I earned here, it's taught me many lessons. One of the most important, y'all ain't worth it. I am. So after hearing the narrative, what were your initial thoughts and reactions? I was impressed with how forthcoming the employee was, the departing employee, uh, because this is really rare for employees and for several reasons. One is that there's usually a fear of retaliation. Even though they're leaving the company, an employee would have um, be afraid of burning bridges or being blacklisted if they tell the truth of what they experienced. Two, oftentimes employees just have emotional fatigue um, so they just don't have a lot of energy to continue to educate the employer to stand up for themselves like the last battle, the last stand, and also just reiterating their self-worth to an organization that's mistreated and marginalized them. And then three, they sometimes just have resentment towards an organization and think, you know, I'm not giving you any more of my energy. It was terrible here. I just want to leave. And then number four, sometimes employees are just still processing their experience in the organization. Um, they may not even realize what they experienced until months later. They may have flashes of moments of, wow, that wasn't right. Oh, man, I can't believe they said that to me. Or as they're hearing stories from even friends or colleagues, others, they may say, wow, that happened to me, too, and start recognizing that, wow, that was a terrible experience to have. Um, so many of us are used to working in these uh, environments and in cultures that are aggressive towards us and we don't even realize it. It's that idea of a fish just doesn't even know what's in water, right? You're so used to having this expectation of being treated as the other or being marginalized or just not ever knowing what that experience is like to belong somewhere that you don't even realize it until later you hear other people expressing they've had experiences like you and they're expressing it in the way of letting you know that was wrong. Yeah, all of the things all of the above. So as the person who had this experience, I was feeling all of those things. And as I talk about the situation now more openly, 
I am having flashbacks about the different things that occurred, even things that I didn't think I remembered or didn't Mm -hmm. think mattered to me at that point in time. I'm like, wow, I can't even believe that that happened. And I can't believe that I didn't say anything. And I I think that speaks a lot to growth as well as um, visibility and exposure to organizations like you mentioned, where you do feel welcome, you do feel valued, you do feel like you belong. Yeah, and I think also a a big part of that, Crystal, is just kind of the muscle memory that Iko is talking about, the importance of taking time to reflect during those moments. Because I, I think a big part of it, right, is that when you're in it, you're probably natural reaction is to think things like, oh man, I need to be working harder. I wish I was smarter. I need to do more research. I I need to do this. I need to do that. And I think a lot of the times, like you mentioned, we don't always name it because we don't know that work can be a place that's happy and open and accepting. So Aiko, do you think this level of transparency that happened in that exit interview can truly exist in day-to-day workplace conversations? Yeah, I mean, it can, but it takes a lot of, um, it takes emotional labor from us to make sure that we're having that, we're showing up with that degree of transparency. One, it takes courage, it takes self-awareness, it takes vulnerability, and it also takes just, again, the capacity, the desire, and even the energy to be that transparent. Um, And just going back to the fact of you have to have a degree of self-awareness about what you're experiencing and being able to name it. So one of the last things that we mentioned is that sometimes people don't even know that they're going through something or they're being treated poorly. And so they may not even have that awareness that it's happening. The other part is that if you're being trampled on at work, the chances of you being willing to be vulnerable are pretty low because vulnerability is not only risky, but it's also emotional exposure. Why would you want to emotionally expose yourself in a space where it's not psychologically safe? It's actually proven that it's not psychologically safe. I also think a lot of times for us, we might think, wow, that's just really common sense that you wouldn't say something like that to somebody. Like by now, we would think that people would recognize that you don't describe us as articulate. Like that's not a com- that's not a compliment. Mm-hmm. We're asking to touch our hair. That's off limits. So sometimes we're just appalled and can't believe that. Wow, this uh, this person must be intentional because can they really be that off? So just going back to the idea of all sense isn't common, right? Mm-hmm. So it takes time to figure that out too. Um, so it takes a lot of effort to actually be that transparent every day. And then there's the idea of is it even worth it? Right, because I think one of one of the pieces, and you've talked about this before, Aiko, of also being able to, to have these conversations is fighting that imposter syndrome, right? Which kind of is like a self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit, where we come into a space and we don't think that we belong there, and everybody there makes us then feel like we don't belong there, and then we end up feeling like we don't belong there. And it just ends up being like this cycle and this catch-22, and even this layer of martyrdom where we're like I should be grateful that I'm here yeah absolutely Krista it's like a uh, just the the vicious cycle right 
Um, and it's, it's really funny now because you hear people talking about imposter syndrome all the time. And mm-hmm. I just want to highlight that there are aspects about imposter syndrome that are unique to people of color, to black people. Because our imposter syndrome is not that it's just in your head and you need to give yourself affirmations. It's that there are systems built to make sure that you know what your place is and you don't belong here. There's constant reinforcement and messages, everything from the media to the people in your workplace that are constantly reminding you, you don't work, you don't belong here. So imposter syndrome for us is not just a matter of something in our head or our mind. It's that we are constantly having to speak back to culture that's around us and self-validate. So there is, I just want to put an anchor in the ground for on that because I see people throwing around imposter syndrome as if it's the same for everybody and you just need to self-affirm as if it's not systemic and many of these spaces and places weren't built to keep us out and to make us constantly think that we should be grateful to be here. So I just want to highlight that, um, that it is different for us. And you elevated just a few minutes ago, um, the phrase emotional tax. And based on what you just said, like we bear this emotional tax in and outside of corporate spaces and it's consistent. So with that being said, when we're dealing with this emotional tax outside of organizations and then we come to work and then we're dealing with this emotional tax as well, we have to realize that we can't take it all on. So how do we empower ourselves to draw boundaries and avoid emotionally abusive situations? Yeah, so I'm always telling my clients to know your values. So not only name your values, but name what are the behaviors associated with that value. Um, And that is what will help you to not only draw boundaries, but also to set expectations for others in terms of how you expect to be treated. And also helping you to understand quickly when is something out of sorts or uneven. You usually go straight to your values and recognize that, hey, one of your values is being breached when you're having a sense that something is wrong. So the first step is identifying what your values are and understand what it looks and feels like to honor your values and what does it look and feel like when you're living outside of them. Because that's going to give you a good idea of when you need to tell somebody just halt or check what's going on in the environment again and being able to name it. Um, And I do want to make another point about naming your values and why I say it's so important to also name what the behaviors are that exemplify those those values. Because if you just go and say, hey, um, my value is family. And somebody else might say, hey, my values are family too, but it looks different. So one person might say, hey, I need to uh, work 70 hours a week to make sure my family gets everything that they need, right? And somebody else might say, um, actually, for me, I need to be able to work from home or just work 20 hours a week, even though we're going to have less because I want to spend more time with my family. It's important that I'm present. So that's why it's important for you to name it because it might look really different, the behaviors that you're associating it with associating with your values and then when you're talking to you know crystal when you're talking to krista hey this isn't right my value you know this is actually breaching on my value of x and this is what i expect my value is loyalty 
And so I expect that you're not going to throw me under the bus in front of other people. And that just didn't feel right. Krista might say, my value is also loyalty. But what that looks like is I'm going to tell you the truth regardless of what, when, where, and why. So you have to align and understand what it looks like so that you can treat, you can educate other people on how to treat you and you can name what you expected when you're not honoring your own values. Does that make sense? And that's also what's going to allow you to walk from an organization that's not honoring you. And then that idea of practicing self-compassion, because for you to honor your values, you have to know your own self-worth and be willing to take care of yourself. And then being able to name what you see happening and what you're experiencing. Because sometimes we just want to tell people, you know, hey, it was just terrible at work today. I hate that place. And you're asking that person, well, what happened? Uh, Those people, I just can't stand them. And I'm just so angry. But they can't tell you the action that happened and what it did in terms of how it um, breached maybe their values. And they can't say, hey, this is what happened in that meeting. This is what happens every time. I try to share my opinion. I try to share what's happening. And then they go and listen to Susie and said, and I said the exact same thing. Nobody gives me direct eye contact. It's like I'm invisible or they go on the other side of the hall when they see I'm coming. And then when you're talking to whomever at work to actually make your case, you can say, I'm treated like I'm invisible here. I'm never accredited for what I say in my ideas. Or people act as if I don't belong here and they walk on the other side of the hall when they see me or never make eye contact. That's really different than just saying I hate that place. Now you can name what's wrong, what's happening, how it's breaching your values, and the behavior that you expect to receive from there. Does that make sense? For sure. Definitely. You got to call a thing a thing. That's right. (laughs) Because if you don't call it what it is, then you're going to continue to allow people to do the things that you don't like. And you're never going to be able to hold them accountable because you're not going to be able to talk about it and explain how it's impacting you and what you want to see. Absolutely. Happen differently. Absolutely. So that naming a thing a thing helps you to not only hold yourself accountable for being in spaces and demanding to be treated how you expect to be treated and also expecting accountability from that institution. And then the last part about drawing boundaries means Um, understanding what it can look like when um, your boundaries are being breached, but also getting yourself to a space where you're actually not only identifying, but you're willing to walk into it. And I say that because sometimes when we see that our boundaries are being breached, we don't want to even recognize it because it can be painful. And I align that with the emotion of grief. And usually in this country, in most places, you only hear people talk about grief when somebody has died But grief is actually also just about loss. So when you notice that um, somebody is trespassing against your values and it's something, somebody who you might hold in high esteem or high regard, or you have a high value in that relationship, you may not want to set that boundary and call them out because you're afraid that you're going to lose that relationship. That person's going to disappoint you. They're not going to be the person who you thought that they could be, they were going to be. And that means setting that boundary means a loss. So sometimes we don't go into that and we don't um, set that boundary because we don't want to we don't want to have a loss, even though it's bad for us to stay in that situation. So I just want to say that that is uh, another valid point that we need to be 
ready to grasp when you're holding your ground on some things. And it may not just be a person disappointing you. It could be an organization. So one of the things we were talking about before, which is that you feel like, wow, this is your dream job. This is awesome. I should be really happy to work here. But then you realize, wow, every day somebody is tearing down the Black Lives Matter sign. Or wow, every time I'm the one who's getting stopped on the campus for at by security. And you start realizing, wow, they really don't think I belong here. And this is how I'm going to be treated. And that's a disappointment. That's a loss. It hurts. And there's grieving associated with that. And a lot of times we don't want to deal with this. So we just continue to put up with some things that we shouldn't put up with. And the last. Yeah. And this is. I was going to say, this is not only in the context of work. This is also people that you know outside of work as well. Like it could be your family members. It could be somebody who's been your best friend for 20 years. Sometimes you have to lose people and you have to be willing to grieve them for your own peace and your own sanity. You have to protect your energy because trauma can happen at work. It can happen outside of work. It can happen at your house. And you have to be open and willing to self-reflect and see what's going on around you. And as you mentioned, name it and act. I was going to say, and I, I think another element of that is that people, especially like black and brown women, really give emphasis to the personal relationships, right? And to the energy that we talk about outside of work. Quite often, we don't like to see our, you know, professional track or job, whatever it is, in that light because we don't always have the mindset that this is a choice. So it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to touch that. I don't want to dig too deep on that because I don't, I don't really have a choice there. So let me direct my energy around emotional trauma and all of these different things to what I can control, to where I can set boundaries. So I think a big part of it is, Iko, you've talked about this before, is a mindset shift, right? And what does that look like, the idea that we do have a choice? Yep. yep. So that, that is certainly important. I want to go back to something Krista, Crystal said first, which is the idea of losing relationships, too, and how that's really personal and it really hurts. But that also goes to a reason why we sometimes don't set boundaries. And we talked about... Many of us are in these spaces and the first ones in our family to work at some of these organizations, be it mm -hmm. Facebook, Gates Foundation, whatever it is. We're the first ones to have that job that's in an air conditioned building where you're getting benefits, you're getting professional development and you're not hourly. So for us to set boundaries for um, an organization and be willing to leave or put it all on the line there's also this idea that, wow, we might disappoint people at home. Like, you know, we might have our moms and dads or our grandmothers or whoever saying, how, how did you leave that good job? Why would you leave that good job? Because they said, what? Oh, man, I dealt with way worse than that. You need to go back and get that mm -hmm. good job. So it's about a job and it's not about a career. It's about what Crystal was talking about before with trauma and us being, um, I don't want to say we're okay with it, but we've become accustomed to it so that idea of wow if we set boundaries at this workplace we got to go explain it to people at home who aren't going to get it and even us training ourselves to think i don't need to deal with this to going now to krista's point about it's a choice 
and being able to recognize that, hey, we, we stay at these jobs because they serve us. We don't stay at these jobs because we're enslaved. And we have to have that mindset shift. And I was I was sharing earlier that um, one of my mentors, who um, Phyllis Turner Brim over at Starbucks, saying that you stay at an organization as long as it's serving you. When it's no longer serving you, it's time for you to leave. And that is so important because it changes the dynamic from the point that we should just be grateful and we need to be serving the company. We need to hustle for our worth. We need to prove that we're, we, we should be here and we, but we deserve to be here. And that is exactly the counter of knowing, I know my worth. I know what I'm bringing to the table. I'm making them look good. They should be happy I'm here. That's a totally different mindset shift, but one is established in your worth and the other is established in what people say is good enough for you and what you should be satisfied with. So that idea of shifting that mm. and being empowered and knowing that you have a choice and an option. And the other thing we talked about was this idea of maybe you don't have the privilege and luxury to be able to just leave a job at a moment because you need the health benefits. Right now, you do need that financial security. Maybe you're helping family members as well as well financially. But still to know that as long as you're there, I'm choosing to be here because it's serving me right now. I'm And while I'm choosing to be here, I'm going to max out. I'm going to use the professional development. I'm going to network. I'm going to be a part of the ERG. I'm going to go to conferences. I'm going to get better at A, B, and C and get certified. Those are ways that you make sure that as long as you're there, it's still serving you. So knowing that you're the one who's making the choices, even if it seems like at this moment, this is a place where you have to be stationary. But as long as I'm here, it's going to serve me. I'm not here to serve it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's why I, I love what we were talking about, right? Like Crystal said, you have to name the thing a thing in order to hold yourself accountable, like Iko said. But all of the all of the like tips that you gave us, Iko, are so symbiotic, right? They feed one another. If you want to be successful in empowering yourself, you have to do all of them almost simultaneously. Because even though you name a thing a thing, you won't be able to say, wait a minute, I've named it, now I think that thing makes me uncomfortable if you don't know what your values are. You can identify it, but you won't be able to categorize it as something you are or aren't willing to stand for. So I know listeners love this conversation because I did. Where can they find you online? And here's so much more. Uh, they can, of course, find me on LinkedIn. Find me on Instagram at, at rare underscore coach and at my website, which is rarecoaching.net. And thank you, ladies, for having me. Of course. Y'all reach out to our friend if you need coaching and consulting. She is the real deal. Oh. And with that said, Iko, you have a, a special thing <laughs> that you say about coaches. That's right. Thank know. you for uh, reminding me of that, is that if people are going to spend the money investing themselves to get a coach, I'm not saying don't hire certain coaches of certain races or backgrounds or what have you. But you just know that whoever you hire and you're paying this hourly rate to have, that they are not people you're going to end up having to educate, that you're going to have to educate them about what it means to be black or to be a woman or to be part of the LGBT community, 
that's not they should be paying you for that so make yes, sure I was about to say you need to pass them your cash out information <laughs> <That's right. laughs> to pay you exactly so make sure that coach who you hire they can relate to you and support you through what your experience is thanks for tuning in to another episode of the we are meaningful podcast Follow us on Instagram at wearemeaningful.co and visit our website to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. We're excited to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Talk to you next week.